This is Bill McLive, iHeartRadio's talk for the Space Coast. With today's Common Sense on Common Radio. Here's Bill Mick. Welcome to our third hour this Monday morning, the 14th of March, 2022, on Bill Mick Live. It's brought to you by the West Cocoa Pharmacy. And uh, I'm going to be out of here tomorrow. Joe Pag's in for me in the morning. And since we traditionally do, uh, Dave does history with Dave Bowman on Tuesdays, we decided to handle it this week on a Monday as opposed to uh, skipping this week because we missed Dave last week because he and his family were under the weather. Dave Bowman, are you are you guys feeling better, by the way? Yeah, we're we're over that. We, it was it was not fun. I, I can imagine, and, and I'm glad you are. And it's good to have you here on a Monday instead of a Tuesday. And uh, we're doing something. We had a we feel like a music station today. We had the request line open, and we got a uh, email from Keith in Palm Bay who says, "Hey, what about Eisenhower and the industri- military industrial complex, and how does it lead us to where we are today, and what's going on in the world?" And he said, I'd like to hear Dave's take on history with all of that. So, Dave, you dug into the research barrel or the Wayback Machine, and uh, you've got thoughts on Ike and the military-industrial complex. Where are we going today, man? You know, my old partner in this job, John Constantine, would have would have laughed at that. He says, somebody asking Dave to, to ramble about history. That's, that's <laughs> opening a can of worms. It's, uh, it's oh, a what fun. a great guy John is, too. I miss yeah. that guy. What a fascinating subject. The first thing I'm going to say here is, number one, we're not going to get through all of this today. So, Keith, take a deep breath because there's a lot here. Uh, The second thing and the most important thing I want to say is, in history, nothing happens in a vacuum. This is important to remember. It's almost, people like to say, okay, this caused and this effect. But reality of it is, there's a whole lot more moving parts to things that if you're not familiar with, you you miss the subtleties of the story. Uh, this week, those of us of the Jewish faith are celebrating the festival of Purim, which is the book of Esther. And if you read the book of Esther, you get a story. And you're probably familiar with it, right? And Esther becomes queen. Haman wants to kill the Jews. Esther begs the king for their lives. And everybody's happy, right? At the end. Well, except for Haman and his his people. But there is so much more to that story that you don't get because nothing happens in a vacuum. There's all kinds of moving parts and politics and everything going on in the subtext that you don't just necessarily get in a, in a, in a textbook reading of the 1952 election when Dwight D. Eisenhower becomes president of the United States. Everything is politics, and you're talking about a different time in our country. It was post-World War II America. And we had just come off of the 1948 election, which was probably the second now, now the second biggest upset in presidential election history. Remember the, the Chicago Tribune, Dewey defeats Truman headline that yes. Truman's holding up. Nobody mm-hmm. expected Truman to win. Nobody, no polls, no pundits, nobody. Everybody thought Truman was going to get just absolutely whacked. And he won. To this day, they don't necessarily understand why that happened, but they know it happened, and they they didn't learn any lessons from it, which should be uh, indicated. But, you know, 
we don't we're not studying that one, so we'll we'll move on. After Truman is reelected, the main, literally the main issue for the 1948 campaign was presidential term limits. Everybody was coming out because Franklin Roosevelt had had won four terms, and Truman was seen, you know, as the extension of Roosevelt. He was the the fifth term of 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 Franklin Roosevelt, if you can borrow okay. a phrase from today. So the entire Republican platform, the entire Republican campaign was presidential term limits. And when Congress turned over in the, in the 1950 midterms, they almost immediately passed the 22nd Amendment, sent it out to the states, and it was ratified in 1951. Okay? But it doesn't apply to Truman. He is grandfathered in because he was president before it was passed. So he is eligible to run in 1952, but nobody's made a decision yet. And in fact, there had been several discussions about who should run in 1952. By the the middle of, uh, uh, by the end of 1951, the Korean War is just going like crap. You have the huge controversy with, with, with General MacArthur being fired. You have just a bloody war that doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and nobody seems to be willing to actually fight the war. They're just willing to sort of, you know, play patty cake with the North Koreans and the Chinese. They're not really pushing to win it. They're, not really, they're just trying not to lose. It's a prevent defense sort of thing. And this is being roundly criticized. This is costing lives, money, American blood. It's, it's not going well for Truman. He's looking around and he's thinking, who can replace me? And everybody in the country is looking at one man. This, not since George Washington has there been one man in the country who everybody says, that's the guy that should be president. The problem is that guy has no interest in being president. In fact, by the end of 1951, heading into 1952, nobody even knows if Dwight D. Eisenhower is a Democrat or a Republican. Nobody has any idea, and he won't say. He's just that right? neutral. And he's willing to, he, he's actually said, I don't want to run. I'm not, I have no political aspirations, which if you're British, you know, means he has political aspirations. But, but everybody in the country wants him, and both sides are forming draft Eisenhower committees. And it's going to come down to something that we take for granted today, but in 1952, it was kind of unusual. And we'll tell you about that in just 60 seconds. Thank you, Dave Bowman. We are back in a minute on Bill McLeod. Our weekly dive into the past with Dave Does History. Dave Bowman with us from uh, Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. That's linked up for you on my page at BillMick.com, also on the WMMB and Bill Mick Live Facebook pages. So, Dave, we're looking ahead to the 1952 election, and we don't know if Eisenhower is a Republican or Democrat. Where are we going here? Isn't that weird that we don't? We have no idea. Nobody knows. You know what? He, to me, it speaks well of him. It, it, it's like... I didn't like it as well when Colin Powell was doing it, by the way. But with Eisenhower, yeah, it's kind of like well, let me let me ask you a question. Be different. Let me ask you a question. But why did it bother you with Colin Powell? I think just the way he played it. Do you think Colin and, Powell was was seen in the same vein 
that 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 Eisenhower was seen in, in the same kind of you know accomplishments. I mean, okay, so he was chief of staff or whatever when we when we won the Persian Gulf War. The, uh-huh. the, Eisenhower was the supreme commander of Allied forces in World War II. So, I, and while there are yes, acknowledged similarities, a, a much bigger bigger uh, image in my mind for Eisenhower than there would have been for Powell at the time. There was a much more political thing to it. Like I said, in many ways, Eisenhower is very similar to George Washington. Now, I would never put him on the same plane, but but he's he's the one man in the country that everybody thinks should be president. But he's made it clear that he has no political aspirations. He said that over and over again. But both sides start draft committees to try to get him in. Now, what you need to understand is that until, remember, nothing happens in a vacuum. That's very important to understand. Until the 1970s, in fact, it's not until the 1972 election, primaries, the primary system that we're so familiar with that we're, we're going to have here in a couple of years, did not decide the, the party's nominee. And that's hard for us to get our head around. They had primaries, but in 1952, for example, the GOP only had 12 primaries, not 48, like, they, like you would think they would have had. They had 12 primaries, and the primaries were not seen as meaning anything. They were simply an indicate. They were, they were an advisory vote. <laughs> you might remember that phrase from Modesto. They were an advisory vote. This is what we think you should do, party, and, but... While those delegates are bound, they're only bound for one vote. So in other words, after the first ballot is cast at the convention, if there's no clear winner, they're free to go wherever they want to go. So there's going to be problems here. Now, in this, in this vacuum, you need to understand that Truman is almost universally hated. He was universally hated in, in 1948. Still nobody can understand how he won, although there's no accusations of cheating or anything. But by 1951, there is a man who is universally understood to be the primary leader in the elections. Now, you may think that the Bush family name, George, George H.W., Jeb, Steve, you know, all the Bushes are, uh, are a political dynasty or maybe the, the Clintons to some degree. These all these families that think that they're political dynasties, they are nothing compared to the man who is standing at the top of the Republican heap at the end of 1951. His name is Robert O. Taft. Now, you should. We're going to talk about Robert Taft when we continue in our next segment of uh, Dave Does History here on Bill Mick Live. I love these dives back and I love what Dave brings to the table. It continues through the hour in just moments here on 92.7 FM, WMMB. The time is 8.26. Catch Bill's Mick Nugget Daily at 5.30. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you the hour, and uh, you want in as we talk to Dave Bowman. As Dave does history, it's 321 Seven six eight twelve forty. So, Dave, we're looking at Robert Taft as what the potential Republican nominee here. By the end of nineteen fifty one, Robert O. Taft, which is a name that should be familiar to you, is 
the leading Republican candidate. Now, Robert Taft is Bob Taft, as he's known, is a senator from Ohio. He's run for president before in 1948, but, you know, the Republicans preferred Thomas Dewey. And the reason for that is that Taft is a conservative. We would today call him a conservative libertarian isolationist. He is a hardline conservative. Think of the most conservative politician you know today and move two steps to the right of that. That's Bob Taft. Now, wow. he's, he's not in, you know, crazy land. I mean, he's not, he's not out there, but he is a very well-respected, very hardline uh, conservative. His family, of course, is very famous in American politics. This is, the Tafts are probably one of the biggest political families in history. Uh, they all went to Yale, Harvard Law. They're all skull and bones people. Um, his, his brother is a, is a mayor. His other brother is a congressman and so forth. And of course, his father is William Howard Taft, the former president and Supreme Court chief justice. So this is a man who is very well connected, very well known, and very popular in the country because he he has a long history of service. He wanted to enlist in World War I. He couldn't. He has very bad eyesight. I, I sympathize. So he ends up serving with Herbert Hoover in the Food and Drug Administration in Europe after the war, the First World War. And he came to, dis to completely distrust government bureaucracy, said it was an inefficient and detrimental to the rights of the individual. And this is a principle that he will promote throughout his entire career. Imagine a senator today saying bureaucracy is detrimental to the rights of an individual. He, oh, I wish they would. I wish they would, too. He is dead set yeah. against FDR. He hates the New Deal. He is actually against U.S. involvement in, involvement in World War II. He, he attacks all involvement of the U.S. In, in, in any form before December 7th, obviously. He's against mm -hmm. Lend-Lease. He's, he's like completely isolationist. We don't want any part of this war. We don't want to be dragged into a war that's not our war, right? Okay. <laughs> wouldn't, you, wouldn't you love to have a senator saying that today? After, yes. after the war, after we're attacked at Pearl Harbor, he's very much uh, in, in, you know, supportive of the United States war effort, but he is noted as one of the few Republicans who is absolutely livid and outraged over Roosevelt's internment order of the Japanese citizens. He thinks that this is unconstitutional, which it is, he thinks it's, it's outrageous, and he is very vocal about it. And because of this, in 1944, when he goes to stand for re-election as a senator in Ohio, he faces a lot of opposition from the Democrat Party. Now, he'll win 71 out of 88 of the counties in, in, in Ohio, but total, he'll only win by 18,000 votes. And this is wow. the reason why he's not nominated in 1948 by the Republicans, they don't feel like he can win votes. He just barely scraped by in 1944. And even though everybody knows him, he doesn't seem to be able to convince crossover voters and even Democrats to vote for him. In the, in the he can't appeal to the middle. Right. He can't run to the middle, as they say. He's, mm -hmm. He criticizes the Nuremberg trials, if you can imagine such a thing. He sees that as victor's justice, and he calls it ex post facto, which, if you know, is, is unconstitutional. You can't have ex post facto laws. He said, I question whether the hanging of those who, however despicable, 
where the leaders of the German people will ever discourage the making of an aggressive war. For no one makes an aggressive war unless he expects to win. About this whole judgment, there is a spirit of vengeance, and vengeance is seldom justice. The hanging of the 11 men convicted will be a blot on the American record, which we shall long regret. Today, we have American senators standing up on television calling for the assassination of a foreign leader. Mm-hmm. Bob Taft would have been terribly against that. And by early 1952, he is the leading candidate for the GOP nomination because most of America feels the same way. Everybody thinks Eisenhower would be a great president, but it's Taft who's the leading candidate because everybody knows Truman's not going to win. He's going to get beaten badly. And it's that point where things really start to get weird. And we'll talk about that as we continue. I'll take a minute to remind everybody the West Cocoa Pharmacy is this hour's sponsor of our program. Again, appreciate everything Don, Doc, and the staff at the West Cocoa Pharmacy has done through the uh, coronavirus and and the various permutations of, of regulations and everything else that went on. One thing that they did was stand tall as a pharmacy who does the job as a pharmacy. Your doctor prescribes it, they're going to put it in your hand. That's what pharmacies do unless they're affiliated with hospitals or major corporations and the like, in which case they try to play doctor and pharmacist all at once. Not at the West Cocoa Pharmacy. Learn more at CocoaPharmacy.com or give them a call at 321-305-6909. They're committed to quality service. They're committed to pricing and saving you money every way they can. You're going to appreciate the West Cocoa Pharmacy, as we do. They're bringing you this hour of Bill Mick Live. Dave, let's get a quick phone call in before we move ahead any further. We're going to check with the requester of this look back at Ike. Keith is in Palm Bay. Keith, you're on with Dave. Good morning. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, I appreciate you doing this, Dave. Uh, your intro, though, led me to a, a, another quick question. If, if uh, You know, this is such a pivotal time in history. Did Eisenhower have anything to do with setting up the U.N., the NATO, Israel, because the, the first question I, I had, you know, in between World War II and him being elected, there's a lot going on, and uh, you had it in the politics. Uh, what led me to this question was I just Googled him, and it seems to me he sort of led us into the military-industrial uh, complex he warned about. You know, at first I thought it was pretty good. After six months, he, he ended the Korean War. It was like, great. But then he went to the U.N. and did the Adams for Peace uh, uh, speech, which, if, as I read on, realize this is off the Internet. It, it said that was for the speech to the U.N. was more of a media and to make the world emotionally comforted by the use of the nuclear bomb. Sounded like he had some guilt complex there. But then there was a, a Candor, Operation Candor, that, that I read on, he also was trying to encourage NATO to go nuclear because it was cheaper. And it was funny how, you know, once he gave the speech, Israel and Pakistan were the first to get the the nuclear um, energy capability, I guess. And, you know, he sets up the whole Middle East and the nuclear complex and wars going on and then warns us about it. And then in between does the highway system. I mean, he was a very pivotal president, and I think it was a pivotal time to where we are now. And I'd like to know a lot more about the Adams thing. 
All right, Keith, thank you. Appreciate it. Glad you got on. Dave, uh, we've got about a minute here. Go ahead. Well, no. Eisenhower had nothing to do with NATO. He had nothing to do with the United Nations. Those were all established in the post-war uh, thing, United Nations in the in right after the war. NATO came about in 1949. The, the difference in the way we viewed atomic power in the 1950s to today, remember 1950s, it was the promise of the future. You were going to have a you know, a tiny battery pack that was atomic that was going to power everything. There was a lot of positive to it that we don't see necessarily today, but maybe we should. We'll get into a lot of that coming up real soon. All right. Dave Bowman with us. We are talking the, uh, well, we're running up to the election of Dwight David Eisenhower and the politics behind it before we got there and where it's taken the country. Dave does history. Today on a Monday on Bill McLive, he'll rejoin us next Tuesday as we'll continue this, it would appear, and uh, that's good. He's still with us now, and if you want in, it's 321-768-1240. Of course, anything you miss all day long, podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill McLive iHeartRadio channel. Get those up and running just as quickly as we can after the show, and uh, feel free to share those with your friends as well. We're back in moments on Bill McLive. The West Cocoa Pharmacy bringing you the hours. We put a Monday to bed here on Bill McLive. We're doing that, taking a look at the precursor to the Dwight Eisenhower presidency is Dave Bowman with us from Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. Dave does history once a week on Bill McLive. Normally it's Tuesday. I'm out tomorrow. Joe Pags will be in, so we got Dave in on a Monday. And we'll continue this saga next week on Tuesday. Dave, we are in uh, early 1952 and the Republicans don't quite have a nominee for president yet. Let me get you up and maybe that will help. There you go. They really haven't. I mean, officially the process hasn't started yet, but officially it has. Because the way we elect a president in 1952 is much different than the way we do it today. Remember what I said earlier, nothing happens in a vacuum. In 1952, there are only 12 GOP primaries. And they are not seen as... Definitive. While the while the the delegates are bound only for the first ballot, but they're it's seen more as an advisory vote to the party leadership as they choose the delegates that are going to go to the conventions. Robert Taft, Bob Taft is is Senator Taft. He's the leader. Everybody assumes that Truman is going to run again, but it's like 1948 all over again. He's going to get he's going to get slapped in the next week because everything is so bad. The war, the, the economy, things are just not going well. And he's seen as, as a, a, an FDR wannabe because of this running for a third term thing. <coughs> so what ends up happening? Well, as I said earlier, Eisenhower has said, I have no political ambitions, but both parties want him to run. In fact, Truman himself has said, we should groom him as my replacement on the Democrat side. But Eisenhower won't say whether he's a Democrat or Republican. He just, he, it's almost like he's apolitical in some ways, in a lot of ways. So in 1952, going into the New Hampshire primary, which even then was the very first one, the Democrats have their primary and Truman gets absolutely slobber knocked. I mean, he gets creamed by Stevenson. 
And so he decides after the New Hampshire primary, that's it. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not running. And that clears the way for Adlai Stevenson to run on the Democrat side. It's, 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 it's a done deal. All the Democrat party leaders look at that and go, okay, well, he's the guy we like him and that'll be fine. And especially against Taft because Stevenson is seen as a, as kind of a more moderate guy. Taft is seen as a very, very right, hard, right, conservative isolationist. He wants the United States out of NATO. He wants the United States out of the United Nations. He wants to just basically go back to 1938, you know, our, our big shell and, and stay there. But a funky thing happens in the GOP primary in New Hampshire. A senator who's a leading Republican decides to put Eisenhower's name on the ballot in New Hampshire. He just does it. He doesn't ask anybody. He doesn't tell anybody. He just does it. And Eisenhower just blasts his way into the New Hampshire primary and wins in a landslide. And he had nothing in that at that point, he as far as we know? He isn't even running. He hasn't even said what party he belongs to. We don't even know that he's a Republican. But he wins the GOP primary in New Hampshire. Now, it's not as cut and dried as you think, and we'll tell you about that in just 60 seconds. Dave does history in this hour of Bill Mick Live. Dave Bowman, the host of Plausibly Live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast. So, Dave... We get in the New Hampshire primary and non-running, put on the ballot by somebody else, Dwight Eisenhower, who just whips Taft in, the, in that New Hampshire primary. And this is a huge problem because Bob Taft is the favorite. He's the choice of the Republican hierarchy. He's seen as very, you know, he can win maybe, especially against Truman, but Truman's not out officially yet. So there's a whole lot of stuff going on, a whole lot of moving parts here. Now, the, as I said, the GOP will go on to have 12 primaries. Eisenhower will only win five of those. Taft will win five of those. And then some offlying candidates, Earl Warren will win California, and uh, some other guy wins the, uh, the Wisconsin one. So it's 5-5 five, five, and 2 is essentially how they end up before they go to the convention. At the convention, Douglas MacArthur gives the keynote address. He gives the, because, you know, he hates Truman anyway, but now Truman's out. And so it, it kind of tempers and kind of gets forgotten. The next guy to give a speech is a guy that he's some California congressman that a few people know, but not really well. I mean, he's, he's seen as, you know, he's a former Navy officer. He's, He's an up-and-coming politician, but at this point, he's still kind of a, he's seen as kind of a hothead. He's one of those guys that you can get under his skin real easy, and his name is Richard Milhouse Nixon. But his speech is so good that people start scratching their chins and go, hmm, we kind of like that guy. He's, he's, uh, he's given a good speech here. And the convention, okay, so they cast the first ballot. The first ballot Eisenhower is leading but he's not winning. Taft, his family is so ingrained in the Republican Party. They have so many powerful people in the Republican Party that they are accusing Eisenhower of cheating. He's, he's got, um, 
they're trying, they, they actually challenge the convention rules because they're convinced that Eisenhower is improperly campaigning for delegates at the convention. The, 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 the rules committee says, no, Eisenhower is doing okay. We, we like Ike as the saying will mm-hmm. become. And so they actually allow him to get away with this. The second ballot, by this point, the, the winds have shifted and the winds have kind of picked up and, and, and seen things differently. Everybody's kind of on this, hey, wait a minute. Taft is really isolationist. He's really hardline right. But Eisenhower, he's kind of a middleish guy. We don't really know exactly what his beliefs are, but we know that people like him and they'll vote for him. Whereas with Taft, we still have that 1944 re-election thing going on. We're not sure he can convince people to vote for him. But Eisenhower, I mean, who's going to vote against Eisenhower, right? Kind of approach to things. And if we pick the right vice president to bring in some of the more conservative states like California, maybe <laughs> it will maybe it will work. And so on the second ballot, Eisenhower overwhelmingly wins. And of course, this is, you know, Taft is broken by this to some degree because this, this was his to lose. Eisenhower immediately, as soon as the ballot is cast, as soon as he actually wins the nomination, he walks, he's crying. Eisenhower is crying. Dwight David Eisenhower, general, is crying. And this is noted by the press. They kind of, uh, they kind of are taken aback by this. And he composes himself. He stands up. He walks across the street to Taft's headquarters in the hotel across the street and says, hey, are you with me or against me? Are you going to help the GOP win or not? And Taft, to his credit, Taft says, I'm GOP and I will do everything I can to get you elected. And he does. Not that you have to do a whole lot to get Dwight Eisenhower elected. In the meantime, the convention takes up this, the other side of this thing. And remember, the delegates, you know, the the primaries didn't choose things. The candidate did not choose his running mate. The, The committee did. The convention did. They really liked this speech that Nixon has given. And they think to themselves, well, he'll carry California for Eisenhower, which might you know, California's pretty conservative in those days, and it was Taft country. Maybe, you know, Nixon will mollify them a little bit and help carry California, which at the time is tied for the second biggest state in the country with 32 electoral votes. And so they named Dick Nixon to be the vice president of the United States. Wow. Remember, nothing happens in a vacuum. And this was is Was there any consideration for Taft in the VP slot? There was none. There was no commit no wow no consideration of that at all. It was all or nothing with him. There were some other people that were considered, but, but Nixon's speech in 52 really won over the Republican convention. Now, again, nothing happens in a vacuum. So you're looking at a convention where Eisenhower is chosen by the Republican leadership, the state, you know, Republican leadership, Republican officials. It's, it's bizarre to us today because we wouldn't do that today we would know who the candidate was long before the convention. But, in, but until 1972, conventions were very, very important. And Eisenhower, Eisenhower's handling of this is brilliant. And so from the minute he's nominated, it's pretty clear he's going to be the president. And like I said, not since George Washington has anybody looked at somebody and said, 
that guy should be president the way they have with him. The problem is we still really don't know what his what his positions are on anything. We don't really know what he believes in. We don't really know what he's going to do as president. That's interesting. David, a little bit of time we've got left. Let me get another phone call in. Line one, you're on with Dave Bowman on Bill McLive. Good morning. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, this is Olin Palmday. Yeah, Olin. I, I like Dave's history lessons, and I'm going to call you on Wednesday because uh, about the uh, something that's relating to today. Maybe Dave can speak on it sometime. I'm talking about the entire Cuban Missile Crisis. Okay. Uh, Castro Revolution to the Bay of Pigs. Right. Olin, get me back on today. We're running out of time here, pal. Thanks. Okay, you didn't apparently didn't have a question for today, Dave. Let's uh, we got about a minute and a half to close things up here. Let's talk about uh, where we're going. We don't know where Eisenhower is yet. We we really don't. And next week when we sit down, we'll talk about the Eisenhower presidency, all leading to that thing that Keith wants to talk about this this uh, this warning, this this mystical almost almost legendary warning that Eisenhower gives when his, in his goodbye speech. Beware the military industrial complex. Well, you'd think he would know what it was. Did he cause it? Did he really understand what it was? And how does that play today as we watch the military-industrial informational complex push us towards a yeah. war that nobody really wants? Or and it does do seem that that well, when you got the president or the White House briefing TikTok influencers, are you kidding me? Really? Yeah, yeah. and that's bizarre. I don't think that would have happened under Ike, but he's not here anymore. Yeah, that, that's very true. Um, Dave, we got a path to go to, to get to the uh, Eisenhower presidency and, and beyond, so that's going to be a lot of fun. We'll do that next Tuesday, it sounds like. Sounds like it to me. By the way, uh, you know, I'm perfectly willing to talk about the Cuban Missile Crisis, just not next week. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, well we, to all things in due time, we've got the Wayback Machine, and it takes us any direction we choose. So that'll be unlike the time tunnel, which would just drop us intermittently wherever it decided to. That would be tough. Or, or the wormhole taking us to Delta Quadrant. Yeah, there you go. That would be it'll be a longer trip back. Dave Bowman, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, an interesting start to where we're going with Ike and this uh, military industrial complex that he. You're, are you thinking he wasn't exactly sure what was coming where? Personally, I don't think he actually understood what it was. He saw it, but. But he didn't really, he was trying to put something into words that he didn't really completely understand. But the world had changed, okay. and he knew that. And the world does change ever so quickly. Dave Bowman, thank you. Learn more about Dave and catch his podcasts regularly, and I listen to them every minute I can. It's uh, plausibly live, the Dave Bowman Show podcast, linked up at BillMick.com on the show page today, shared on the WMMB and Bill Mick Live Facebook pages, and uh, also on the iHeartRadio app. Thanks to the West Cocoa Pharmacy. They made this hour possible. I will see you Tuesday for Wide Open Wednesday. Joe Pags here in the morning.